Brian Dean is a leading SEO expert and the founder of the popular SEO training blog Backlinko. On our podcast, he talks about the early failures and challenges he faced until he made his breakthrough, explains how voice search will change SEO, and lists the most important skills a web marketer should have in 2018. Hello, Elementors. I'm excited to have our guest today, Brian Dean from Backlinko. Brian, thank you for being on our podcast. No problem. Good to be here. Me and Matan have had uh, several questions lined up for you. So, uh, Matan... So let's start from the beginning, maybe. Tell us a, a bit about yourself. Where did you start your career in the digital industry? So I started by launching a website in the weight loss space, and it didn't do well. Um, it was a product that was an information product to help people lose weight. And I quickly realized I didn't know how to get people to the site. how to convert that traffic. I basically didn't know anything, which is common when you first launch a website. You don't know what you're doing. But the thing that interested me the most was getting traffic to the site. How do I get eyeballs on my new website? And I quickly realized that SEO was the way to do it. And over the years, I basically had launched a bunch of different affiliate sites, various test websites to figure out how to rank websites in Google. And over time, I eventually succeeded with those sites and they did really well using White Hat SEO. And when I went to read more about White Hat SEO, I realized that there wasn't a lot of good content out there that showed you how to do it. And I realized that there was a gap in the market. So I created Backlinko as the blog that I wanted to read. Yeah, and I have to share that uh, I also, I, I started as an SEO uh, expert back in, uh, I think 10 years ago almost. And you kind of burst into the scene and uh, dominated the market for a few years with your uh, skyscraper technique. And then recently you did another kind of uh, breakthrough with your YouTube SEO series. So uh, like what, are, what years did uh, this happen and how did this success occur exactly? So the first site I launched was in 2008 or two, early 2009, late 2008. And that's the one that didn't do well. I stuck with that for about a year. I had a job at the time. So I stuck with that about uh, for about a year before I, I realized it wasn't going to work out. And then for the next um, two years, I basically experimented with different websites. I had some varying degrees of success. If Ben, you've been in the game this long, you know, 10 years. Um, Completely you different. Know, yeah. You know, yeah, it was totally different. Like this is before Panda, before Penguin. And I basically rolled with those updates. You know, I had sites that did well and then Panda wiped them out. I had a different set of websites and then Penguin wiped them out. And I went through this cycle for a while trying to figure out what worked. And then in the summer of 2012, I launched a website that was for the first time in my experience, 100% white hat. Before that, I had been doing like black hat stuff and gray hat stuff and basically trying to game the algorithm because that's what worked before. Um, and this was my first foray into creating a real legitimate website and getting real legitimate links to it. And that's, it did really well. And I started, I had a little agency, SEO agency, and I started doing this white hat stuff for my clients for the first time too. And it was working well for them. And I'm like, wow, white hat is where it's at. I should have been doing this years ago. But I didn't know a lot about it compared to shady stuff like blog networks and blog comment spam and article directories and things like that. And when I went to learn about it, it I basically came up empty. And that's when I decided to, to launch Backlinko to document 
the stuff I was learning as I was going. And I figured there are other people like me out there that want the same thing. After you launched it, uh, how did you get, you know, so many followers? I mean, did it happen organically uh, or was it, uh, did you put a lot of effort in it? Tell us, like, let's go back then, 2012, you're documenting, documenting what you're doing. When does the breakthrough happen? So I, I ultimately launched the site in January 2013. So after the summer of that site succeeding and still doing well into the fall, I started the, you know, the steps like building the blog, deciding on a domain name, all that stuff, you know, designing the, the blog and creating, finding keywords and content, things like that. And I wouldn't say it was really fast that it started to grow, but it wasn't really slow. It was like kind of in the middle. So the things I did to promote was number one is created, I created content that was really different than what was out there. So there's this expression that I go by that is different is better than better. And I realized that if I was just trying to one up what was out there on sites like Moz or search engine land, it was going to be really hard to stand out because those sites already had huge followings, huge amounts of traffic, tons of links. And here I was, you know, I was in an Airbnb uh, banging out articles in my underwear. How am I going to beat these huge brands with, you know, a hundred employees if I just create something that's, you know, 10% better. So I decided to create stuff that was really different. And at the time, There wasn't a lot of actionable content related to why SEO. It was a lot of, you know, build relationships or create great content. It was really vague. And people like me were really frustrated with that. And they wanted actionable stuff that they could read in a post in one tab in the browser and then implement the stuff in the other tab. So I decided to focus on 100% actionable stuff that people could use And leave the philosophy and the vague stuff and the big picture stuff to other websites that's amazing and I have to reference uh, one of an earlier podcast where I interviewed uh, Elliot Condon from with the developer of uh, ACF and he's also kind of a solo player that managed to grow a, a, a plugin with um, over a million active installs and I think you with your following there's a There's some allure to it. I mean, it's it's the dream, and people can really relate to it, like someone that's not corporate doing things uh, and and sharing all the insights and uh, not holding back and trying to really succeed on their own. And uh, I think it's inspiring. Well, thanks. yeah, I felt kind of like an outsider because I had a little agency. I you know, I consulted for other agencies after a while. Um, But I wasn't really public facing in any way until I launched backlinko. And I never really knew anyone in the SEO space. Like I didn't have I knew zero people outside of some you know affiliate marketing types. but you know the real SEO people, I didn't know anybody. So I came at it as an outsider. And I think that helped because I was viewed as an alternative to what was out there. Some people prefer what was out there before, but a lot of people preferred what I was putting out. And that helped me a lot having that outsider status that was legit and I didn't bash other people you know I wasn't like I'm an outsider they're stupid I'm smart it was just here's a different take on SEO that you can read about on my blog and what's the business model back then did you still have clients did did you start your course 
Yeah, it was pretty much consulting and clients when I first started. And I launched the course about a year, almost a year after I launched the site. And from then on, I basically would stop client work and stop consulting work for the most part. How frequently do you publish uh, posts? Uh, about once a month. We've talked to um, many marketers that know the, the importance of the, the frequency and uh, there's always the balance there between putting out good content and putting out a lot of content. And you're, you've become like the, you know, the poster boy, I would say, for you know, infrequent, amazingly content that is hard to, to top. So how, how do you see the, this, this uh, how do you manage this and how, how does it work? your workflow and your, 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 uh, your process of uh, doing that? So the process came from just running the blog and I realized very early on that as a solopreneur, just basically doing most things myself with some contractors at the time, now I built out a whole team, but at the time it was basically me. I couldn't do quality and quantity. I had to choose one. Like there was no way I could do both. Early on I tried to do both and what happened was I was uh, dedicated to this once a week schedule and I realized that quality started to suffer right off the bat because there's one week, you know, I put out a post by the time you promote it and you get it out there and reply to comments, it's already time to write the next post and you only have like four days. And what can you really do in four days? Even if you're focused and driven and you know the topic, it just takes time to create something really great. So I decided early on that I was going to choose quality. Um, and part of the reason too was if you look at the, the landscape of content, there isn't a quantity problem. There's a quality problem. So in yeah. the early days of blogging, it was opposite. Like there was some good content out there, but there just wasn't that much to read. It's totally different now. But the problem is a lot of the advice you hear about running a blog and growing a blog are from people that started blogs back in the day. And back in the day, Publishing a lot was really important and it could, it was a competitive advantage because no one else is doing it. Not so anymore. Today, it's all about um, quality. So that's basically how I approach the editorial calendar is like, I have a list of topics and that I know that they can be great and I have a full month to work on it, which takes a lot of the pressure off. And it also allows me to do little extras that other people can't do because they are on this rigid once a week schedule. This is very different publishing once a month. How do you build the relationship and the readership of, uh, you know, returning visitors and uh, keep that connection, of course, maintain it uh, in hopes that um, people will join your course eventually? That's a really good question. So um, a couple things is one, that's something I was really worried about when I first started this little experiment to only publish once every four to six weeks and focus on quality was like, people are going to forget about my blog. You know, I'm going to lose my readers. And when I send an email, they're going to be like, who is this from? Um, and I learned a couple things from trying this. And one is that you know, people have lives, like they're out, they're doing their things, they have problems, they get in a fight with their husband, they, you know, have to walk the dog, they have a life, they're not waiting around for your blog post. <laughs> and if you don't publish for a month or get in touch with them in a month, they honestly don't care. They don't even notice. Um, and actually, I've found a correlation between the amount of time, if I wait a while to send a blog post or a newsletter, my open rates on those emails are better. Because people haven't heard from you in a while, so they figure this is going to be good. 
Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Or it's going to be, they, you've kind of uh, conditioned people to understand you only email when it's worth it. You don't just email every week because you have a newsletter that comes out every Wednesday and you have to put something out there. You only email something worthwhile. So even though, uh, you know, my email list is fairly large in, in six figure range, um, my email open rates are like 35 to 45% because I don't email that much. And when they do, when I do, people know, okay, this is going to be worth opening. So I think that concern about people forgetting about you or losing your audience is a little bit overblown. Now, that said, ideally, if you could do both, if you could publish awesome stuff every week, you should definitely do it. There's no advantage to publishing once a month. If you can maintain that level of quality and do it more often, by all means, do it. But for most people, it's hard or impossible to do that. 45% is huge. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I mean, that's the high end. There's, you know, and mostly it's in the 35 to 40%, but occasionally we get a 45% open rate and we send it to a list of over a hundred thousand people. So a part of that is that I don't send that much. So then people are like, you know, it's the opposite of that weekly newsletter that, you know, you're going to get another one next week. This seems a little bit more special. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier that nowadays you already have a team. Can you share with us how this, uh, this team looks like? Sure. So it's still, I like to keep things small and simple. So I'm not into building like a 10 person thing with a hierarchy and stuff. So right now it's me. I focus most, mostly on content and product. I have um, an assistant that helps me with, you know, executive assistant type of things, a support staff that helps with customer support and a full-time developer that does development for the website. He helps with design and some um, development work, like coding up some ultimate guides that we have, um, plugins, custom plugins that we've built over the years, and then a designer that's part-time that does a design work, you know. So this is like your A-team. Yeah, exactly. So it's a small team of people that just do the important stuff. Most of it's related to the blog and the product because we don't, I don't do a lot on social media or anything like that. So except for YouTube. Um, so there isn't really a team to do that. So what are the tools that you use uh, in your daily uh, work, both in managing the, this team and also uh, in general marketing? For the like team, top, top I'm, three, you know? yeah, for the team, we focus on 100% email. I'm not a fan of Slack or chat or anything like that. I feel like it's more of a distraction. Um, the team's dispersed. So we have some people with Uh, in the States, some people in England, all over the place. So, and then various freelancers that are in different countries. So there's no real need for the most part for live chat in, in the, my company. So we just do everything with email. That way you can get to it when you're done doing your important work. And that's the philosophy we go by. So the tool we use for communication is basically, is actually only email at this point. We used to use some like task management stuff like Asana, but it was just another thing to check and, and maintain. So we got rid of that. Um, in terms of SEO stuff and content stuff, uh, the big one for me is Ahrefs. That's the tool that I've been using most often lately. Um, for us too, us too. Yeah, it's really good. All right. Um, and it's adding, they added more features to me. It used to just be like a link analysis tool, but now they have a lot of cool stuff that good keyword research tool and some other things that I've been using. So that's the tool I tend to open most often followed closely by SEMrush. Those two are the ones that I tend to use most often for SEO stuff. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so you work uh, from home. So I have two questions about that. First, do you also do video conference with the team? And second, like how do you, it's a question that I post to everyone uh, who work from home. Like how do you manage 
the the lack of uh, company <laughs> in, yeah. in office. I know what you mean. So for the first question, we don't do any video. There's basically no meetings. Is It's not really a policy, but it's basically no meetings. So all the communication is through email. And the reason for that is that meetings are just a huge waste of time. And, and most meetings are just an incredible waste of time for everyone there. And most of the time, whatever gets done in the meeting could be done via email a lot faster. And when people are available instead of making them available at a certain time. Very, very rarely, maybe like a few times a year, we all hop on a call. For the most part though, it's all email communication. Uh, um, so that's number one. Number two is the office. The, the, well, my old apartment used to, um, you know, I used to work from the kitchen table and that was really hard that Backlinko World Headquarters was the kitchen table next to the fridge. Uh, and it definitely had that, like you're alluding to, is, is like it didn't feel like a company in that way. Um, since then, I've had a home office and the room is just for that. That's where I'm at now. So like the, the last two places I've had have had a home office where it's just a room dedicated to that. And pretty much nothing else happens in this room except me working. So it's just when I leave the room, I feel like, you know, kind of done for the day. And when I come in, it's work time. And I try not to work in other places in the house, like the living room or the bedroom or anything like that to keep that separation. Yeah. From this conversation and from my previous knowledge, you're kind of a, of a leader in you, you do things your own way that you believe. And you can see that in and others, of course, copy you. We see that in, in the Skype scraper technique and, and many other things. So that begs the question, like, who are your mentors and your influencers? So some of the people I look up to for like, you know, kind of very general, I wouldn't even call it business, but like the intersection of business and life would be Tim Ferriss. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of people look up to him for a lot of reasons. But personally, it's that he has just done his own thing and he could have easily you know cashed in on the whole four hour work week thing with uh you know more books and a tour and a conference and events and all that stuff and he just didn't want to you know he's like yeah. i don't want to do that and there's something powerful about someone who just stands up for themselves and says i know there's a lot of money i'm leaving on the table i know this is an opportunity i'm passing up but i don't want to do it and yeah, it I, seems like he's doing what he enjoys Exactly. Which is, sounds so simple, but in reality, it's really hard, especially for someone like him who must have opportunities like coming at him a hundred times a day. He has to dodge opportunities. It must be hard to say no to everything, but he's done such a good job of it that I respect that he's done his own thing, even though um, he could have easily you know, just gone for the money and been less happy, but more rich. Um, so that's cool. Uh, other person I look up to for personal branding stuff is Marie Forleo. She's just a master of just being a personal brand, I don't know, empire basically that she's built um, on her personality, but also knowledge and being legit. Um, Just she has a combination of everything. So she's someone I look to when I think like, how can I be a a better personal brand? How can I improve it? It's I always look at Marie Forleo first and foremost. Yeah. And she dominates a video as well. She does it. Oh my God. She's crazy. So she's actually influenced a lot of my, the way I do do my own videos because hers are so well done. Um, in terms of like content, really focused to content stuff, uh, Neil Patel is someone that I know personally and has done really, has been super successful creating content optimized around SEO. 
So, you know, there's a lot of people who are good at SEO and there's a lot of people who are good at content and sometimes they don't mix very well. Um, and he's done a good job of creating content that people like reading and that also ranks well on Google. Well, there seems to be a, a sort of separation, I would say, between marketers and uh, I would say influencers in that field and WordPress in the community. And here at Elementor, we kind of have a, a, a mix of the two. So how is your perspective on WordPress? Are, do you use it? And uh, what do you feel about it uh, as a platform? Well, I'm a big WordPress fan. I mean, the full-time developer that we have is is a WordPress developer. So that, that tells you um, okay. how important it is. Everything that we use runs on WordPress. The course architecture was a custom-built plugin that uh, runs on WordPress. Payments are through Gravity Forms. Content is WordPress. Forms uh, for emails are all WordPress. Like everything's WordPress. So um, for me, it's, it's a super important part of my content marketing and SEO, and I can't imagine using anything else. Speaking of uh, WordPress, uh, most WordPress users think that you can install Yoast and they're set in terms of SEO. What are they missing here? So I think they're missing that SEO is, it's more of a process than a thing you do and you're done. Um, and Yoast is helpful for getting started, but it's one tiny piece of SEO. Like the keywords on your page that Yoast looks at anyway, is one very, very small piece of SEO. Like SEO starts before you even write. It starts with keyword research, right? And then you have to create something that deserves to rank on the first page, which has nothing to do with Yoast. And then yeah. you optimize it for keywords. And that kind of Yoast covers some of that stuff, but not even that much. And then there's a whole promotion and link building side, which is a whole nother thing. So you have all these steps and Yoast covers one of it. So I would say, you know, Yoast is helpful. I use it but it's one very, very small part of SEO. Uh, well, I spoke with, uh, with Tim Solo from Ahrefs uh, a few weeks ago, and he discussed the importance, the growing importance of including in, in longer blog posts, images and well-structured graphics and other elements beside text. And this brings us to the importance of design, possibly even a plug for Elementor, uh, and I was uh, wondering about your perspective and how do you tackle with it in your content creation process? So my perspective on that is that visual content is really important. Tim is 100% right on that and they do a great job with it. Because if you look at content in general, no matter what industry you're in, there's just more of it than ever. You know, WordPress shows, WordPress, their own stats show that 2 million blog posts come out every day. But... Um, for sites that run on WordPress that they, can, they have analytics on, page views on average are down. So there's more traffic than ever before, but less people are reading it. So how can you create content that stands out, that people want to read? Obviously, creating great content will help. Optimizing it will help. But design is one huge competitive advantage that you have over most people because most sites are using 100% text or, you know, the occasional image or maybe a stock photo from Flickr or something like Creative Commons image, but they don't put a lot of effort into design. So design can be a huge competitive advantage for your content. And that's how I look at it. And that's why we spend a ton of time and money designing content at Backlinko. You recently published an article, a post on your blog, uh, Definitive Guide to SEO in 2019. 
Can you share with us some of these predictions? For example, I found it very interesting how to optimize for voice search. Yeah, so voice search is kind of uh, a misunderstood thing in SEO. Um, I wrote another guide just to voice search on the blog that clarifies some of the stuff. But basically, voice search is growing really, really fast. So um, Google's own data shows that about 20% of all searches done on Android phones are now voice searches. And Microsoft data shows that um, a good chunk of voice searches are happening on desktop using Cortana on Windows. So just voice searches in general, the amount of voice searches that are happening are growing by you know, 1,000% year over year. Some of the stats are kind of insane. A big chunk of those are from devices like Google Home and Amazon Alexa. And those honestly, in my opinion at least, don't have a big impact on SEO in terms of trying to optimize for them because there's no point. You know, if I search for like, um, great way to design a WordPress website. And it says, according to Elementor.com or Elementor, well, they don't usually say the website, they say the brand name, blah, 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 blah. I never really went to your website. I heard the brand, which I guess is helpful, but it's not that helpful. For me, the real shift that's happening that impacts SEO people is that regular searches that are happening on people's phones or on desktops are coming in through the voice. They're happening on Google just like they normally are, but the keywords are different because people are using their voice. So instead of typing in something, they're using their voice. And because of that, the keywords themselves are really different than what they type. Specifically, what people, when people use voice to search, the keywords are a lot longer because it's you know, a lot easier to say something than to type it. So people don't mind searching for something. So instead of you know, calories apple, which they would type in, they might say something like, hey, Google, how many calories are in an apple? Um, Keywords also be, tend to be more questions because people feel like they're having this interaction with the computer that they don't have when they're typing. So it just changes how key, the keywords that people use and how people search and get the results. But the results basically are the same. Oh, wow. That's, that's so interesting. It, will we come a time where we might uh, do SEO optimization to a Brooklyn ex- accent, you know? <laughs> maybe, maybe. On the subject of voice search, I think... YouTube is is something huge and uh, I remember that a few years ago it was a while back I think maybe 2013 maybe you posted your first video it was amazingly well well done but the recent videos that you have made are considerably better and I don't mean graphics wise I mean you as a presenter have improved and I know this is a, a, a big thing challenge for a lot of people in the content marketing industry like go doing the shift to in front of the camera not everyone feels like they can do it you've made such a an improvement and I was wondering what are the key lessons that you can share uh, about that so there's only really one and it's just getting in front of the camera a lot so the reason I got better isn't there's no secret I just started I did a lot more videos so I You know, my early YouTube videos, that was basically the first time I made any video. So it's, it was weird. You know, you have the camera and the worst part for me was always that, that moment of silence right before you're ready to go. Like you get the camera set up and you're ready to go and it's like, okay, go. And there's that brief moment of silence and I always kind of freaked out. And the beginning of my videos were, always, were really awkward because I was super nervous. But over time from recording a lot of YouTube videos, but mostly actually from recording course videos, 
which is way more than on YouTube, just getting in front of the camera over the years, it's like anything. The more you do it, the more comfortable you get. I'm sure the first time you interviewed someone on a podcast, it wasn't as smooth as it is today. And it's the same oh, thing yeah. for video. So um, the only Listeners, don't go back to the first podcast. <laughs> exactly. That's why I feel about my videos. Don't go back to the first video. So I appreciate you saying it, it was good. Um, but I def looking at it now, it's, a, I have the same feeling like it's, a, it's kind of embarrassing. So, um, yeah, that's the best advice I can give. And, and when I say that, I don't mean you even have to publish videos. Like you can record video content, look at it and say, you know, this wasn't really good enough. I don't want to put it out there, but just the act of getting in front of the camera, getting comfortable there and knowing that it's not live. You don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to go up. You can edit it to make it look better. It takes a lot of the yeah. pressure off and you internalize a lot of that stuff over time. Definitely. Uh, so the follow-up is like, if we step back and I'm new marketer on the market, what are the three things that you would recommend that I put focus on? For videos or just in general? No, no, in general, in general, yeah. So the first thing is writing. So writing is the number one skill by a mile when it comes to marketing. And it's not just for writing content, just in general, if you're a marketer, you're going to write a lot. Like even th this podcast, you wrote the questions, right? And, and by and large, the quality of this podcast has nothing to do with me. It's the quality of the questions, right? And you ask good questions yeah. so far. So the, the podcast, you, you know, it helps your listeners. But if you wrote yeah. the questions and they weren't very good and they're, or they're awkward and hard to understand, then the podcast wouldn't go as well. Or with a video, you know, your script that you make in your video, you ultimately write that or an outline and then to write the title or to write when you wrote me an email to invite me to come on the podcast yeah. or when you write a social media post or when you write to meet someone for coffee. Just writing happens so much. We think, okay, that's 2018. The world is about video and podcasting and audio and a good chunk of it is. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to writing. If you're a good writer, it's a huge super hack that can help with anything else you do. It almost doesn't even matter what part of marketing you decide to specialize in. Writing will help you. That's an amazing question, uh, amazing answer. And I say that's an amazing answer because that's exactly what I answer <laughs> when oh people ask me because I 100% agree that writing, uh, for me, writing is thinking. When you can write down the logic and the story that you, you want, you can, it means you can also think clearly and you have strategy. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm very happy that you say that. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's one of the reasons I like communicating internally with email for the same exact reason you just mentioned is that it helps clarity of thought. I mean, there's practical reasons like it's a time saver and it's more practical in some ways, but the other reason is it, instead of just being in a meeting and just saying whatever comes to the top of your head, it kind of forces you to think and, and think clearly and communicate that to other people. So um, that's another reason I like to use written communication internally. Plus, it helps you know who is, uh, you know, bullshit artist. And <laughs> that's true. So and two, two more. You owe me two more uh, insights. Oh, two more. Oh, man, I thought I could get I thought if I had one good one, I wouldn't have to do the other two. Definitely. It can be small, very small ones. Okay. Know? Okay. No problem. So the other, the other big one is an eye for design. So you don't have to be a designer. I'm not like, I'm horrible. I can barely draw. I, it looks like a little kid, but I feel like over the years I've developed an eye for design about what just looks aesthetically nice and what doesn't, especially when it comes to website stuff. So 
that's something that I, I think is important to cultivate, whether it's looking at art or reading design books. Like I actually read a lot about design, even though I can't do it, just so I can understand trends, what's working and some basic stuff like rule of thirds and uh, symmetry and, and colors and things like that. I feel like that's going to help you because your website design is such a big part of the impression that people get from your site. Like it's just more than the content, more than anything else. That's the number one takeaway people have when they first visit your website and it applies to your content as well. So that's the, that's the second one that I would really focus on. The third is multimedia. So podcasts and videos, they're a growing part of the internet. And like we said, at the end of the day, writing will is the structure and the foundation for it. But just being good in audio, being good on video, these things are going to become more and more important as time goes on. So if I was a marketer looking to jump in, I would make sure I was at least competent with audio and competent with video because those skills are going to come up again and again, just like writing as time goes on. You nailed all three. And, and I must say that as uh, both Matan and I are content writers and marketers, that are in a design company for for me personally it's been a challenge uh but i'm de i've definitely after three years i know a lot more uh about design and i you know you give me a design i can tell if it's a shitty design yeah, definitely. that's <laughs> all you really need right yeah. if you can say this is bad or this is good you're on your way like that's you don't need to actually do it it's like it's like steve jobs he wasn't a designer but he could recognize if something was designed well or not not to say, you know, we're going to be like Steve Jobs, but just an example that he don't, had the eye for don't design. Don't say no. <laughs> maybe. Hey, maybe you will. I'm, I'm, that ship has sailed for me. We're, st we're, still, we're still young. <laughs> uh, well, uh, great. Finally, I want to hear more about your course. Like what are the, the what, what's the focus and how do people sign up? Is it evergreen? So um, the course is called, I have two courses, but the SEO one is called SEO That Works. And it's a four-week course that walks you step-by-step step from creating a page and getting it to rank on the first page. That's the goal after the four weeks that you've created a page and got it to the first page for your target keyword. And the main advantage of SEO that works is that, first of all, it's super detailed step-by-step. Step. So there's no guesswork or putting the pieces together. It's like a blueprint. You just follow step one, step two, step three with very detailed steps. And there are strategies in there that I don't reveal publicly, so they work a lot better because they haven't been saturated. I noticed you also have a paying wall on your website. Some of the blog posts are not, uh, you cannot read them unless you're uh, joining your course. No, th that's just for email subscribers. Mm -hmm. So those are, if you sign up for the newsletter, you get access to that exclusive content. That's just something I've been experimenting with over the last couple of weeks. How exactly does it work? Uh, so basically, if, if you enter your email, like it's, um, it's on the blog feed and it's, it shows, you know, it says exclusive for Backlinko subscribers. If you click on it and you enter your email and you're already subscribed, you go right to the post. If not, you double, you confirm your subscription and then I email you the post. Oh, cool. And the other course that you mentioned? It's a YouTube SEO course called first page videos. And it's basically the same thing, but for YouTube, which is a completely different algorithm. There's a lot different stuff that goes into it, but the structure is the same in the sense that the idea is to create a video and get it to rank for your target keyword in YouTube. I have to say, as someone that uh, have, has done several successful videos, that I watched one of the, the, the uh, interviews that you did, and 
like the the insights are valuable uh like the fact that you mentioned that before you uh actually start a chapter let's say you're writing about keyword research and you have started a chapter to announce that now we're starting this chapter it helps google it helps youtube to understand that uh to rank for it yeah for that exactly it's kind of crazy now they're reading the the video basically and splitting it up into little sections and giving you the section that's important instead of the whole video and it's a pretty big game changer because before you know if you search for like how to grow organic tomatoes, they would only show you videos that were just, just about that. And they would just give you a video that was maybe five, six minutes, 10 minutes long. And if you just wanted a quick answer, it wasn't really a good result. So now they'll just search for any video that mentions the topic and they'll give you, spoon feed you that little section that you're looking for. So yeah, the better you can kind of organize, again, it comes back to writing. If you're, if you're on a camera and you're just rambling, People are going to have a hard time follow, following what you're talking about and Google is going to have a hard time. But if you have a structured outline that you follow and then you deliver that in the video, it's going to help everyone understand what your video is all about. Great. Brian, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Uh, how can people reach you? Um, the best place to find me is the blog. So if you go to backlinko.com, you can sign up for the newsletter and get exclusive strategies and case studies that I only share with newsletter subscribers. Great. And uh, it seems we have a lot of connection points, so I'm sure we'll uh, continue the collaboration and, and uh, things we can do together. Uh, it's been pl- a pleasure. And uh, Matan, for you yes, as well? Yes, it's been very insightful. I enjoy talking to you, Brian. Likewise. Thanks for having me, guys. So until our next podcast, thank you for listening and thank you, Brian, for being here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.